This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 546 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Robert's Rules of 31st Century Order, a new team for Diana, a cyber summer special, a dog who picks stocks, and a first run for Stars and Stripe. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, August 2nd, 2020. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher where you can leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Legion of Superheroes number 7 by Bendis, Byrne, Sook, Von Grabager, and Belair. This issue goes back to a classic Legion trope electing a new president. But first, there's the matter of Cosmic Boy addressing the United Planets. He expresses their apologies to General Na, the UP president's response, uh, no thank you, and we would all rather you not were here. He then gives a florid speech about working together and resolving issues peacefully, only to have the UP remark that they just voted sanctions against Rimbor. Bad timing. Brainiac tries to make a point of order only to be shouted down by the UP and Cosmic Boy. It takes John Kent to calm things down, who says if his presence in the 31st century is causing a problem, he will leave. The UP president asks him to lunch instead. Back at headquarters, Triplicate Girl has an argument with herself as Monster Boy enjoys a brownie. On Planet Karg, they're called Brownie Cakey's Delicious. Saturn Girl chews Cosmic Boy out, and when he says he's the elected president, she notes... That only happened when there were only the three of them, and us going, you do it, is not you being assigned leader. When Rock argues that Brainy is taking over anyway, Imra replies, because he's smarter than us. Meanwhile, Lightning Lad's family has moved to New Metropolis, with their new place designed to mirror their old one. The mom's response is, but that's all we could afford. So a general meeting of the Legion is held, and after a lot of asides and confusions, Cosmic Boy and Ultra Boy are the two candidates. When Joe Na gives an impassioned speech and Rock just mumbles, then says, never mind, like I need this, and flies away. The vote's taken, and Ultra Boy is the new LSH Prez, just in time for his dad to attack. Next up, the trial of the Legion, with no less than 41 artists. Wonder Woman, number 759, by Tamaki, Janin, and Belair. A new creative team takes over the veteran title. Tamaki is mostly known for her independent work, although she has worked for DC and Marvel before. A lot of this issue sets the table for her run. There's a lot more of Diana out of costume than in, with a move into a new Washington apartment. Of course, while picking up furniture at Fern, a.k.a. Ikea, a couch I will build myself for $900, 
A minivan-driving mom goes berserk, so Diana must go into action. I like how she apparently runs directly out of her heels into barefoot pursuit mode. She stops a head-on collision, only to find the mom in shock, thinking all of this was normal. Later, Diana is asked to invade a high-max secret prison to stop a riot by Metas, all of which appear to be under someone's control. They all kill themselves, only to have Max Lord step out. And now, it was established earlier in this issue that Max and Diana are enemies, which may mean her killing him is back in continuity. In any case, this is clearly a way to tie in the comic with the eventually upcoming movie. The artwork is quite evocative. Unfortunately, this is one of the books I'm dropping since DC's call to screw up distribution. DC Cybernetic Summer Special by Betchko Hardman, Constant Scott, Phillips, Del Duca, Corson, Koblish, Williamson, Lafuente, Erickson, Varela, Orland, Pelletier, Grayson, Savage, Bemis, Smallwell, Moore, and Hamner. This is one of the fifth week specials built around a single theme and featuring mostly new talent. They can be good or meh, and this falls mostly into the latter. We've got Batman fighting Brother Eye in Space, Platinum and Wonder Woman fighting the rest of the metal men who created a kaiju, Red Tornado torn between duties and his family, Blue and Gold using time travel to enjoy a day on the beach and causing massive paradoxes. The best story here. Barry racing through his multiversal robotic analog. A Superboy robot finding then losing love. Apollo and Midnighter bringing Munshur Mala and the brain together. Harley taking Cyborg to the amusement park. Robot Man trying to hang with humans doing summer stuff. Then his buddy having to deal with the reverse. The world's finest tricking Cyborg Superman into fighting a merged version of Soup's Cyborg and himself. But was it actually a trick? Again, some distraction from this summer, more than a great collection. Billionaire Island number 3 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Pugh, and Chuckery. We begin at the memorial service for the CEO killed by our hero, which was held at the Church of Jesus Christ Businessman. Basically a sight gag before we check in on said hero being interrogated. He's holding up well. Cut to the journalist and the hipster on the beach. The former wants to go back to rescue the others, but the hipster knows that they don't want to leave. They find a cave inhabited by an older man. Back to our hero, who tells his interrogators why he killed the CEO, going into a spiel about how they have ruined everything for their own self-interest. You don't wonder why Spagnola was killed. You wonder why you weren't. Back to the cave and the man living there for five years off the island's castoffs. He tells them no one is coming to save them, and in fact, he doesn't want to leave either, all due to his love, a mannequin that was thrown out. Back to our hero, about to be questioned by the chairman, which is a dog wearing a suit, an expensive watch, and a headset. Turns out a real estate magnate left his fortune to the dog, who turned out to be a great prognosticator of which stocks to buy and sell, based on which bowl he ate out of. Now the chairman is given two bowls, live or die. Back to the hipster, who now realizes he can't escape and manages to break back into his captivity. We're kicking off a new segment called First Run, where we pull the first year of a classic series from the collection. This time it's Stars and Stripe, with characters you are well aware of if you're watching the CW's Stargirl series. We were surprised to find the comic ran all of 15 issues starting in 1999 as a number zero special, which actually takes place in the middle of the series timeline. 
Jeff Johns created and wrote both the comic and the current TV series as a tribute to his own sister, Courtney. Tragically, she was killed on TWA Flight 800 in 1996. This was Jeff Johns' first comic book work. The TV series generally follows the main concept. Courtney Whitmore's stepfather, Pat Dugan, moves the family to Blue Valley, Nebraska. Courtney doesn't initially like Pat and is angry they had to leave California. The comic shows she had attended Beverly Hills High School. She accidentally learns that Pat was at one point Stripesy, sidekick to a Golden Age hero, star man in the TV series, star-spangled kid in the comics. Courtney takes the mystical gadget and costume of that hero and is off to be a hero herself. Pat is forced to use the stripe armor he built to watch over her and be her partner. Of course, the TV series compresses a lot of this. In the comic, Courtney isn't yet Stargirl. She's a new star-spangled kid. Also, she doesn't have the cosmic staff, but a belt originally worn by the elder hero. Down the road, after this title is over and Courtney joins the 2000s JSA, another Starman, the 1990s Jack Knight, gives her his staff when he retires, at which point she renames herself Stargirl. This means her powers aren't the same in the comic. She has enhanced strength and speed and the ability to send out star-shaped energy at her foes to knock them out. So there's no staff and there's no flying. Also, there's no junior JSA formed in the comic. Instead, this happens over a decade earlier as part of Infinity Incorporated. However, there are a lot of the same beats in the comic and the TV show. Dragon King is building a device to control people's minds. The King's daughter is turned into Courtney's arch-rival Shiv. Justin the janitor turns out to be Sir Justin the Shining Knight, a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, a Jeff Johns trademark, obscure DC history. Speaking of obscure, both refer to Mary, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks. Courtney's mother Barbara doesn't find out for quite a while about her daughter's extracurricular activities. Courtney's real father, a deadbeat dad, arrives late in the story with virtually the same dialogue in both the comic and the TV show. The other major difference is Dragon King is just part of the Injustice Society of America. Courtney has a friend Mary in the comic. The Junior JSA take this function in the TV series. Also, you can see where Johns is dragged off his story by outside comic events, the demonic Day of Judgment, and DC's desire to goose the numbers with lots of guest stars. The Marvel family, Young Justice, at one point virtually all the major DC Universe teams. For a work by a new writer, it's actually pretty well done, and you can see that Johns would go on to big things. Perhaps the artwork is a bit cartoony, though. But I have to say... This is overall a really great story. Oh, absolutely. And one I would highly recommend, if you haven't read it, to pick up. It really is the kind of comic that's so good. It doesn't, it's not too dark. It's not too light. You know, it's just very well balanced. And again, Jeff John's first work, who would go on to so much of the DCU and basically become the main architect and has now become more or less the main architect of the TV shows and the and the movies to some extent. Mm-hmm. So uh, for, for a, a, an initial work, this is really fantastic. Yes. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed other SF podcasts and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. 
Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.